Welcome to the Azure Podcast, a series of short discussions on various topics related to the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Your hosts, Kale Tita, Evan Basilic, and Sajid Mello, discuss a specific topic on each show to give you a high-level overview of that topic and resources to get more information should you wish to dig further. For more information on our show, please see our website at azpodcast.com. Welcome back to the Azure Podcast. This is episode number 23, and we're going to talk about some more goodness that we heard at Build at the Build Conference last week. There was just so much to cover. We just uh, needed another episode to go over all the new stuff that we heard over there. So we're going to kind of cover that today. So uh, just to get started, um, as you all know, my name is Sajid Mello. I am a senior consultant with Microsoft in the MCS division based out of New Jersey. And uh, on Skype with me, I have my two esteemed colleagues today, Kale and Evan. Guys? Hey, this is Kale. I'm also in MCS in uh, the same region as uh, Sajit in the New York, New Jersey region uh, in the app dev space and uh, do a lot of work with .NET and, and Azure. Yeah, and, and my name is Evan Maslick, and I'm... Uh, I support Windows Azure IaaS uh, within the Windows team. Excellent. Well, uh, you know, uh, some of the one of the things that uh, the, the hot things that came out last week uh, was related to this new Basics queue. We kind of touched upon it very briefly last week, but uh, Evan, I believe you may have something more to say about it. Yeah, I, uh, you know, so I, I have to be honest, I, I'm in that. I'm in the team that supports those things, and I didn't even know that was coming. So um, that's, that's, that's the good and the bad thing about this space, right? Sometimes you it, you get these nice, interesting surprises, um, you know, because there's always new things happening. But, um, yeah, so these basic instances that we've announced, um, I believe they're A0 through A4 is what we're kind of having have next to them. And they are um, the same sizes as the other A instances, but they're, they don't have load balancing, and they don't have uh, – you can't put them in an, an availability set. Um, so what they're really targeted at, if you think about it, is um, a lot of things that you do in Azure, right? You're, you're looking for highly available and multi-scale and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes you just want to throw out a development environment, right? Or you just want to test some code and just see how it works. You want to see how it works in Azure. But you don't want to have to worry about all the extra – you don't need all the extra stuff, so why pay for it? Mm. Um, I actually am leveraging this myself on my side. So I do some code development you know, on my own. I do some Windows Phone apps and do some other coding. And the problem that I always have is you know, I don't always have access to my personal development environment when I'm you know, remote. You know, if I'm you know, in, in the office and I just want to check something or um, you know, I'm at somebody's house and I want to show them something. Um, or I don't want to muddy up my machines with it, right? So – you know, you can, I recently, I just spun up a Visual Studio instance. You know, it's got SharePoint on it, it's got SQL on it, um, and it's Visual Studio, and those are all part of the licensing. You know, I access this through my MSDN subscription. And, um, you know, it's running me, I think it's running me on the order of maybe, I think something like 30 cents a day is what it's hmm. it's costing. So given that the subscription brings $150 a month of usage, right, I'm not going to use up my month. Right. Um, but even, and even if I did it outside of MSDN, it's still, you know, you're still talking on the order of, you know, $30, $40 a month. 
right, for something like this. Right, right. Um, but it, it's a, you know it's a nice opportunity to get to play with some things without having to worry about spinning up something locally that I've got to you know build the image and install all this stuff. I mean, all this stuff was pre-installed for me when I when I built the the Azure image. Excellent. That's a good. That's a really good use for it. Now, um, the other thing that we did, I guess, this all goes towards lowering the cost, right, of, run, of customers running apps on Azure. And uh, I believe uh, we did make a brief mention about it, but we'll say it again that uh, we've reduced our storage costs now. Uh, I believe Amazon dropped the price of their storage costs to like three cents a gigabyte, and I think we've kind of matched that. So, you know, uh, more. Uh, more savings for our customers, I suppose, uh, which is a good thing. Yeah, the, the thing you may want to mention, Sajid, is what we dropped it from, right? I mean, this is a drop of more than 50% drop, right? It was almost, it was eight and a half cents per gigabyte previously. Oh, you're right. Yeah, that's a significant drop. Yeah, so. And I believe um, uh, customers don't have to do anything, right? They just automatically shows up, yeah. shows up on their bill. Yeah, and I think it kicks in, is it April or May for us? It's May, so it's starting great. next month. You know, but, um, you know, at, at, at that rate, you know, before too long, I'm just going to put my entire, you know, music collection up there for 50 cents or something. <laughs> yeah, Beats having it on Dropbox yeah, or anything else. <laughs> gear replicated to multiple data centers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you can't beat that, right? I mean. Um, can't lose that White Snake album. I mean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny, and I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, right, is that, you know the uh, if you look at these these services the the value is not in the underlying kind of infrastructure stuff the storage the compute you know it's the it's the things you can do on top of it that really mm-hmm. bring the value cuz you know we as a company we can't i mean i guess we're making money somewhere on 3 cents a gigabyte but it can't be much right um but what we're you know what we're really enabling our customers to do is these these really neat things they couldn't do and this is just an enabler for that and let's be clear, this is uh, the cost of the storage at rest, correct? Uh, correct. Getting it in and out, well, getting it in is free, but getting it out, the egress, correct. You, know, you pay for it every time. It, somebody downloads that blob or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, it's all, you know, if you're not, if you, it's all the use, right, is what are you doing with is when you pay for it. So you're really only paying money when you do something useful with exactly. it. Exactly. I mean, if you have an application that's processing it, that's uh, I.O., right? There's there's a little bit of cost involved there, uh, not only for the CPU processing of the application, but also for the I.O. Uh, to the storage blob. Yeah, yeah, be careful there with that, Sajid, because we it's only when it leaves the data center. That it counts as egress. It's not. It's not strictly from the storage account, right? So if I'm if if my VM is running in the same data center as my storage, which we recommend for obvious performance reasons, um, it actually doesn't cost you anything to actually access that. Is that tr- is that true with just uh, regular blob objects as well, or um, tab- so table a, IO? It, yeah, there's a trans. There's a what do we call it? It's a. It doesn't count as data transfer, but there is a transaction cost. Correct, correct. Right? It's, so, it's like it, a five cents for a million or something like that. Yeah, right? some like massive number for some really small amount of money. Yeah. Okay. That, thank you for clearing that. So, uh, yeah. Sorry, somebody going to say something? Yeah, I think I think the big thing for me about uh, this price, you know, this race to the bottom that I, that I keep hearing, and uh, I'm glad that it's happening is. Uh, not that uh, we're not charging a lot for these services, is that uh, things like startups, 
like I know before what I'd heard, at least from people I talked to out in California and Silicon Valley, these start where startups, there's a lot of startups out there. They, um, they were gravitating towards some of the other platforms because of the price and whether we offered a better service, whether Microsoft offered a better service with Azure, um, was, was, it wasn't a point, you know, because, uh, these guys were startups, you know, they were small companies, they were just trying something out and whether it supported all these whiz bang things that we can do, that didn't matter. They just needed a web server. They just needed something to do some processing. And uh, so I think as these prices keep dropping, it makes Azure, I think, a little more attractive to um, those types of environments too. Yep. <clears throat> well, uh, you know what? I think last week uh, I briefly touched upon this new cool new thing that's been added to Azure, which is uh, uh, the Java support on Azure websites. And uh, we weren't really sure about what it meant, so I did some digging on what that is. It's actually pretty cool. Um, this is the this is the Azure websites that we all, you know, have come to love. Uh, it's a very simple way of putting up a, a web service uh, or web server with some content. Maybe uh, uh, you write some CM, uh, have a CMS uh, and a little database back like there. A, like a blog hosting site. Like a blog like hosting, that. things like that. <laughs> Exactly, or even our podcast, for example, which is hosted over there. And uh, it doesn't take uh, much programming knowledge to do it. But if you do want to do some uh, uh, customization, you could do it uh, if if you're you're ready to roll roll your sleeves up and do some development. The thing that was missing was uh, support for uh, for Java apps or Java application servers, and uh, that's been added now. And it's really as simple as it was before, where you could only have .NET. Now you could actually run uh, a version of Java that's uh, that's that's uh, pre-configured, uh, and uh, it even comes with some of the, uh, with the container. Uh, you can use Tomcat, which is your default container, or the Jetty container. Uh, and uh, you know you could upload Java code uh, and uh, you know write write your web application if Java is your language of choice. So you know I think it's it's really great that we're supporting uh, all uh, all the various platforms in 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 all possible ways, not just uh, uh, not just .NET, uh, which is I think really cool. It's not you're not limited to just using VMs now for if you want to use Java. You can do it on Azure websites as well. Yeah, that's that's really like we talked what maybe three weeks ago now, um, when there was the or I guess maybe two weeks because right before build about the change to Microsoft Azure. The name, right? yeah, yeah, and and how how what that really meant from an underlying message, and I think this just reinforces that right. We're the platform underneath, and we enable you to do things. We don't really care what you do it with. We love you to use our stuff, and and I think what is, I think Satya said the other day, we want to make sure it's the best experience with our stuff. Right. Right, the most integrated, but we really don't care what you use. Uh, yeah, I'm wondering about. Did you see anything, Sajid or even Evan? Because being on the support side, um, how's this supported? Um, because you know, <laughs> if we're running Apache on a web server up here, like, uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm not sure what you guys have heard. I know what we're talking about internally on our side is, um, you, you know, and we're trying to figure out where we draw the line, but. We definitely want to make sure that the core functionality works, right? I think what I think where we're probably going to land here is that we will be more than happy to make sure that that your Java code runs, right? Here's some sample Java code. Does it start up and run? But I I think it's going to be a little while before we're really comfortable, um, it, you know, like like debugging the Java code to the level which we do with like .NET code. Oh um, yeah. You know, I mean, I think 
in my own personal opinion, we're going to get there. I mean, that we have the skills in, in MCS and support and to do that stuff, right, and just in general skills. Right. But I don't write Java on a daily basis. It's been a long time since I had to. Um, you know, so to make sure it runs is one thing, but to really be able to, you know, help somebody with a complicated solution, you know, that, that has some challenges is a whole other game. But I, th- I think there's a market for it, personally. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good, you bring up a good point, though, uh, Gail, because uh, one of the constraints with this uh, initial solution offering is that only HTTP connections are accepted yeah, when we set up that particular Java server. So what that means is you can't do JMX or JMS applications, you know, more messaging style applications. And, um, and like you just mentioned, there is no uh, JDI, which is the debug- debugging interface support uh, supported right now. So you can't do remote, you cannot do remote debugging at this time from, say, a local Eclipse installation or something like that. Uh, but uh, I'm sure that'll come uh, over time. It's just not there right now. Okay. Yeah, I think I think one of the other things, Sajid, uh, we were talking about, um, just me and you and some other people were about the SDK updates. So there's a 2.3 version. Is that the way I understand it now, right? Yeah. There's a lot of cool new things that they've added over there. They have, uh, you know, uh, added a lot of uh, new virtual machines now out there, and you could actually do uh, remote debugging or managed code, you know. In the in the uh, in the virtual machine itself, there was uh, updates to websites. Uh, didn't didn't I see? I, I haven't seen the demo on that, but didn't I see the demo that we? And I think I heard you guys talk about this a little bit, but like you don't even have to do anything special like you used to have to do for remote Visual Studio debugging. It just like we deploy that remote debugger for you when you. So you want yeah, to if, you use the, um, if you use the server manager, they showed this at Build, but uh, in the server explorer now inside Visual Studio, you can go in there. I don't know if there's another way. There might be a way through PowerShell to do it too, but um, definitely they demonstrate going into server explorer. Like once you deploy your website, and you can see all your Azure assets over there, like your storage, websites, and all that jazz, and you can just right-click on it there and say you want to do a debug session, remote debug session. It'll go deploy all the stuff for you and set it up and you can literally deploy right off of production right there if you wanted. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I love that I love that new uh, server explorer in Visual Studio. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, I've, I've mean, lived through trying to debug a web role that's crashing and trying to write logs and Windows Azure diagnostics and all that kind of stuff and you know debugs nice. Great. Yeah, the other thing that's nice, um, I, I 2.3, I'm not 100% sure. I'm pretty sure it's supported on Visual Studio 2012 as well as 2013. I'm not sure about that. But uh, the point is when I'm using 2013 a lot more now, and the nice thing is the way we do those updates now. Um, it comes through that little notification thing. It just pops up, and uh, you just click on it and do the update. It's pretty neat. You mean with the NuGet uh, package, package uh, system that we're uh, talking about? No, not NuGet. Um, the integration into the Visual Studio 2013. When you sign in, yeah. there's a notification section now. So if you have anything installed, like these SDKs or any of these other things, um, it'll if they support it when they do an update, you'll get a notification. Okay. Oh, rather than having to go pull it, rather than having to go check yourself or, or know that it's there, it'll tell us. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. That is nice. Does it for the WinJS stuff? It does it for yeah. Azure. It does it for even some of the NuGet stuff, like you said, uh, CG. I know Web Essentials, yeah. that big one from Mads, uh, that does it as well. 
Yeah, because you know, I know I actually just ran into this tonight where I was working with a customer and you know he was doing something with I can't remember what, which version of the SDK he was in, but my SDK was ancient, right? And I just didn't know because the things I test with and play with generally are not you know uh, not all generally the latest and greatest. So I didn't realize my SDK was that out of date. I just hadn't paid attention. So yeah, having that little notification would have been nice. And uh, then just to uh, to round up some of the updates in the SDK 2.3 uh, for um, for web for, for the websites uh, Azure websites, uh, I think now uh, there's a you could you could you could view the remote logs and the files and uh, you know publishing of uh, web apps uh, is is a lot easier now using the published web app experience. Uh, the cloud services they've added a, a lot of uh, a lot of cool new things, including remote debugging for native code in cloud services, which is pretty neat. If uh, and you know that's our PaaS model, which we definitely I think we all agree that's the way to go to get the most advantage off Azure. And uh, they've added a new uh, storage client 3.0. Uh, I'm not really sure uh, what the what the new enhancements are on that, but. Uh, it looks like they're up there. They've upgraded the, the version of the storage client, uh, which is used to access all the, you know, the basic storage artifacts in Azure. Yeah, I don't know if you if you noticed around the um, the cloud services stuff. Um, now you can do it as run as a normal user. Um, I I used to have a, a shortcut on my desktop to launch up, uh, Visual Studio as an admin, mm. right? Because the, the emulator would always break. Because you have to run it as an admin, right? Like we right. finally removed that limitation, which is great. Oh, that's the emulator express that they were, that, that that's mentioned over here. Okay, I was wondering yeah. what that was. So that's yeah. uh, okay. So that that's an emulator that runs as a normal user. That's yeah. excellent. Yeah. Yeah, and just to further comment on that website experience you were talking about, Sajit. So one of the things uh, Microsoft's been working on, um, yeah, if you listen to anything that Scott Hanselman has to say about uh, ASP.NET. Um, it's kind of comical, but it was true. Like that thing grew like a weed, and uh, first we had you know the web forms, and then all of a sudden we got all these frameworks. We had MVC and Web API and and Spa, and all these other things came along. And then they were like, "So what do we do now?" There's like 20 different projects inside Visual Studio. And when you pick it, it's like you're signing a mortgage. You know, you're like, "We can't change this after we do it." <laughs> and so they got away from that, and now the motto is. You know, one, if you try to build an ASP.NET application, there's only one option. You just build an ASP.NET web application, then it says which components you want, you can select them. Um, but the thing that got added on here recently now is this little section in the corner. So when that screen pops up and says, do you want MVC, do you want web forms, there's also a section that says Azure. And by default, it's turned on that says, go ahead and create a website for me. Uh-huh. Um, that's the default section. So if you do that, when it scaffolds up the project, like when it builds the project, it'll pop up and ask you for your creds and everything for the portal, and it'll go uh, provision the website and everything, get it all set up for you so that you can easily deploy your stuff there. Excellent. Yeah, I think those the websites are great because I think, <clears throat> excuse me, don't quote me on the number these days because it may have changed, but at one point it was like 10 free websites, uh, you know, the shared version of them, 10 free per data center per subscription. I mean, you can't beat free hosting with that functionality. Definitely can, yeah. And uh, um, Kale, uh, you were asking. Uh, it it is supported in both VS twenty thirteen and twenty twelve. Uh, the latest SDK. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, you can just uh, pull down the NuGet packages or just install it from the website. We'll put a link on on the show notes. Uh, but you know what? I wanted to uh, just uh, give my thoughts about this uh, support for Java because I was a little surprised when I first saw that in there. 
And uh, but then when I thought about it, maybe it's not so surprising because um, you know you guys know we're, we're getting pretty buddy buddy with Oracle recently, right? Uh, supporting Oracle databases on Azure and and whatnot. And guess what? I mean, last I heard. Oracle is the one that's making Java, right, these days? Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we're, uh, we've got this tight uh, kind of uh, partnership with Oracle, it's no surprise then that we're running Java uh, in websites because, uh, you know, if we do have to support something, uh, I suppose we have uh, the right contacts there now. Uh, do you guys uh, have any thoughts on that line of thinking? Yeah, I, I don't have any inside info, but uh, I would think that it's not in the uh – too far uh, big imagination to think that we might support something like WebLogic on there mm. in the future. But I, again, I have no insight. Well, info. It's just well you're saying wait a minute. Like, you're saying WebLogic on websites or WebLogic in general? I, I think in general. I was say because WebLogic is a supported workload now. Oh, it is. Um, really? Yeah. So so when it's Oracle? Yeah, when the Oracle. I forget exactly how we term it, but when the when Oracle on Windows GA'd, right? So Oracle on Linux has been supported for a while, but it's supported by Oracle directly, right? You contact Oracle. Um, we GA'd Oracle on Windows not too long ago, and, and it wasn't just Oracle database. Um, it was Oracle's uh, WebLogic as well. Um, I actually, and and I kid you not, the meeting I was in just before this, I was a couple minutes late to hook it up with you guys, is I was meeting with the internal support team that is supporting Oracle and WebLogic, trying to share knowledge so that we know our you know our interaction points as we you know, actually have customers coming in doing this. So that, yeah, that is definitely supported scenarios now. Well, and what's really amazing is that customers can upload their own versions of Java yeah. <laughs> if they want to, which is kind of freaky. Uh, it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, I would, you know, the latest and greatest version. Okay, upload it along with the application. So, uh, I mean, I'm really curious to find out one day uh, how they actually install all that stuff, you know. I mean, like, how do you? How do they partition everything and still give you 10 free websites? But we'll have to cover that in another episode. What else? Uh, what else is new? Uh, uh, Evan, you wanted to talk about Express Route, some of the networking enhancements? Yeah, so we'll touch on these real quick because I think they actually – we probably ought to do a whole show on them at some point. But um, the point-to-site VPNs, GA, you know, those are where you can basically, you know, on your client, you know, double-click a VPN connection and, and you get into your Azure VNet. Um, and dynamic gateways, G8 as well, at the same time. So that means you can now use Windows Server 2012 um, as a gateway to your – so you don't need a VPN device anymore. You can use Windows itself as, a, as your edge gateway. On, on-premises, this is, right? Correct. On-premises, yeah. You can use Win- – yeah, use okay. 2012 um, – R- it's, it's, I want to say it's the RAS role um, without the last that happened. Um, and then the last thing that we announced – um, we've announced this for a while, but it's we're kind of starting to roll the preview out more and more. Is ExpressRoute, right? Which is our high-speed IPX-enabled um, connection into Azure. So in that case, we you are almost literally dragging a cable from your office to a a uh, meetup location in IPX, and then they have a cable to us, and so your latencies are incredibly low. Nice. Um, compared to internet latency, I mean, you're talking on the order of tens of milliseconds instead of hundreds. And is this the deal with AT and T? Yeah, this is AT and T and um, uh, level three, and then you know we just announced. Um, uh, it just came out today. You know, British Telecom and right. yeah, somebody else in Europe. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Verizon as well as the other right. ones. So 
Excellent. Good. A lot of choice. Yeah. Customers. Excellent. And, uh, and Kale, uh, I believe your, uh, this topic of IoT is something that's close to you. Yeah, just one thing before we go there, um, Evan, that express route, just to be clear, is that, uh, is that GA, did you say? No, it's not, it's not GA yet. Okay. Um, but we're, we're, it's, it's in a public preview now. Um, so you can, you know, petition to kind of come in and, and get it going. We're still kind of picking and choosing the right customers for some strategic testing and, and geographies and those kind of things, but it's going to be GA, you know, before you know it and, and then everybody can sign up for it at that point. Yeah, that's one thing I wanted to, that's why I asked, um, because I had actually signed up for the preview for Express Route, and I got an email from the Azure, uh, whoever, somebody in the cloud there saying, we notice you're interested in the Express Route, and, uh, we're, the way that they're considering serious customers is you have to go get this infrastructure set up to do this kind of thing, so yeah. they, they walk you through it though, it was kind of cool, so they send this email and say, if you want to use AT&T, go do this, you know, yep. and it, kind of walked you through yeah it's there's some pros and cons to express route versus the vpn like i said we can have a we should do a whole show on this at some point but a vpn 500 dollars, you got a vpn device you can be up and running right but it's it's you know it's you know higher latency you know and and it's just got some potential challenges with express route takes a lot more um ramp up to get ready you got to coordinate with a couple different companies but once you do it, it it's much much faster speed so That's let cool. me know, Kim. Maybe I can hook you up. We'll see. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, Sajid, the Internet of Things is something I've been uh, paying a little bit more attention to, and um, seen a lot of things come out of Build about that. And there's a lot of talks. There's a couple of different like themes that seem to be revolving around these Internet of Things, which are these simple devices that range from you know the size of a nickel or even less up to to whatever two machines that are running big grids and. Uh, you know, warehouse, but um, point is, you know, how do you get these things to scale? Was one of the big things, and uh, so our team and the research team has been working actually for a couple of years, I guess, on this framework that they built. And I don't even know if you call it a framework. It's it's more of like a methodology or a uh, architectural pattern for how to make these things work. And I think it's code named or- Orleans, mm. Orleans. Um, and so they showed some of that stuff at Build. They showed uh, some of the internals of it. And it's quite complex, but um, basically laid out the architecture for here's what we've done, and we've proven it. I mean, there's documented proof, case studies, the whole nine yards between how how we got to this point, like how did this – and they have a lot of great guys in research working on it. The guy I listened to um, was, was talking about how they basically break this thing down into the smallest pieces and say whenever you have this problem of scale, it's, it really becomes this point of how do you replicate this thing um, in such a way, or how can you break it down into the point where you can build these nodes that don't know anything, and then you can deploy many of them. And um, so that was kind of interesting to listen to. And the other thing that was kind of reflected on Azure a lot was the service bus, um, mm-hmm. something that's been around there for a long time. And, um, you know, showing that that thing still <laughs> still works, and uh, it has a lot of value, especially in this space. In this the, space, uh, yeah, with the IoT, this, that's the key thing, yeah, how to queue all those messages up there. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Service Bus get Service Bus gets the um the attention that it should. I mean it, it really seems like it would it has a ton of potential, but I, I just I'm surprised more people aren't using it. I agree. I'm sure people will figure out how good it is, especially when you have all these new use cases now for it. Yeah. Exactly. Great. All right, so that's a good uh 
you know, collection of new tidbits that we discussed. Uh, thanks for yeah, you guys jumping in with all the details there. Uh, just uh, I thought I'll just uh, wrap up with uh, a few general uh, updates that, that came up. Uh, we've talked about some of them. Uh, the, uh, one that's uh, recent is the process automation capability for simplifying cloud management. Um, uh, it's basically a bunch of run books in the form of PowerShell scripts that let you automate the you know manual, long-running, um, error-prone, and repeated tasks so that uh, you know it's all uh, very robust and uh, you, you know you get the uh, the best of uh, a lot of people thinking about it. In a, in a ready-to-run package. So this is something you definitely want to look at, and we'll put a link uh, to that in the show notes. Uh, hey, Pete, I, th- I think that might be something definitely um, just wanted to jump in here. I think we should we should do a whole show on that um, because I only understand a part of that. I don't know what you guys understand about it, but it sounds like uh, there's more there than what maybe we know. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, that sounds like, a, sounds like a really neat show, actually. I'll have to yeah. do some homework for that one, right? We won't be able to extemporize on that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, uh, the way I understand it, this is like, you know, if you need to move a VM from this data center to that data center, how do you orchestrate the whole thing, right, into into scripts? And I'm, in, I'm imagining that's what it is, all these very complicated things that you typically have to do in uh, in your uh, cloud uh, services uh, uh, just to – Yeah, I'm wondering what the comp- – to compare and contrast it to – our premium on-premises uh, with System Center, the orchestrator tool. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering what the similarities are there, or if that's driving some of that, or or if they're totally different. That's that's my question. Good point. Yeah, this one seems to be more PowerShell uh, driven, but uh, that's 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 a good point. Uh, we definitely will will dedicate a show to that. And uh, and then uh, the the Microsoft Azure Active Directory. Uh, there's a whole bunch of samples that are not on right now put up on GitHub. These are samples showing you how to integrate AD, uh, Azure AD in your MVC application, uh, you know, automatically signing in with an open ID or any OAuth uh, 2.0 provider, uh, things like that, um, including securing of uh, web APIs, uh, .NET applications, uh, and, and the like. So we'll put a link to that on the website. And uh, let me see, yep, I think uh, that, oh, yeah, there's a nice uh, little tidbit, uh, which is, uh, I think I'm sure everybody knows about Mark Rosinovich. Uh, uh, he is one of the key architects in the Azure team. I'm not sure if we mentioned that before, uh, but uh, he's, uh, a lot of the uh, enhancements to Azure are directly as a result of his experience in this space in Windows, you know, just a low-level Windows plumbing. It, it, it was, um, you know, it- and it, it sounds a little bit trite, but it, it really is true, right? Uh, you know, when you see people like like Mark come over to the Azure product group in the Azure space, that's clearly an interesting um, and exciting world because he can go do whatever he wants to do. Yes. Right? I mean, and and he wants Azure. to be over here, right? <laughs> so Exactly. And so there's uh, uh, there's a nice, uh, I guess, like an interview uh, with, that they did with him on how Microsoft's building, you know, the cloud of the future. So uh, we'll put a link to that. Uh, really recommend you guys uh, watch that when you get a chance. So uh, that's about it uh, for this uh, episode, uh, which was the wrap-up of Build. Uh, next week we'll try and move on to some more dedicated topics. Uh, I think there's a whole bunch of new things that have come up, and we'll definitely dig a little deeper into some of the areas that we've just talked about. 
But uh, until then, uh, it's good talking to you guys, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Sounds great. See you then. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have any comments or questions, please use our Twitter handle, at Azure Podcasts. Background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the Creative Commons license. Thank you, and see you next time.